Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And uh, with me, we have a special guest, Ms. Hannah Went, who is the uh, Director of Operations for True Diagnostic. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, Len. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Appreciate yeah. you having me. That, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I was just saying beforehand, this is an exciting episode for me because I'm going to geek out on things that I'm interested in. Normally, I don't get to talk about this on, on uh, my show. But and especially with other people, they think like I'm on a different planet. What do you mean? Well, what the hell is an exosome? What are you talking about? So when we get with our biohacker community, which we got to find another terminology to, you know, for, for this biohackers kind of, you know, probably uh, 2000 and the, and the uh, 12 or something that term, we got to update our terminology. I agree with you there. I, I do agree. <laughs> but but I, I'm, I'm ready to geek out and stuff and learn. Like I'm here. You're going to uh, teach me everything I need to know about epigenetics because I, I'm pretty I'm pretty well-versed in genetics, so this is uh, exciting for me. But before we get into that, I want to know a little bit about you. So where did you actually grow up? Yeah, definitely. I'm from a super small town, actually, just north of Dayton, Ohio. It's called Piqua, has about 20,000 people that can be, you know, small or big. To, to some. So yeah, I'm, you know, a mid Midwest girl and uh, ended up in Lexington, Kentucky after I came here for school. Uh, so I'm not sure I know your town, but I've been to Dayton 
And really? Yeah. Several times. We used to have relatives. I'm from Philly. And we used to drive to Dayton with my family to meet see our relatives. There was some in Cleveland and we go to Dayton. So if I remember correctly, and I was a kid, but Dayton used to have an air show there. Uh, so we used to go see the air show and all that stuff, which is pretty, uh, pretty exciting. But as I got older, I remember there was a thing, there was a tent and they had vote for uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think it was part of, uh, I know Cleveland won, but it was like between Philly and Cleveland. I didn't know, so I voted. So I, they won by one vote. And I think that was my, no, I'm just kidding. They won by oh. one vote. <laughs> but, but I voted for, I voted for Cleveland by accident instead of my hometown, Philly. And then they won the Rock and Roll. But we'll give it, we'll give it to Cleveland. They, they don't have much going on. So, yeah, that's so funny you say that. I would go to the um, the air show. My dad's company used to have like a little tent there or whatever, and we get you know free tickets and go there. So I have not thought about the air show in such a long time. But yeah, you know, if you went from Cleveland to Dayton, you would take I seventy five. You would pass right through my town. Yeah, it's it, th- that's the only correlation. Like I remember Dayton. I was a kid. I'm like, it's the air show. We went. Uh, it was a couple times that we went there. But it was really cool. So what was your childhood like? A Midwest, like small town. Uh, parents, siblings. Yeah. Two younger siblings. I'm the oldest out of three. So out of three girls, um, super close with, with both of my sisters. So I'm the oldest, uh, the age gap between me and the middle child, her name's Claire is two years. And then the youngest, uh, were six years. So really tight knit family. You know, I was super active growing up, like played all these sports and, you know, again, it's such a small knit community. Everyone knows everyone type of deal. So it was, it was great to grow up in, in kind of that community and environment. So, and then you were playing sports and you went to school in Kentucky, right? Yeah. That's right. What, what did you, and what did you go to school for? Yeah. Originally wanted to be a vet. Um, so was studying, you know, agriculture, uh, as it relates to like more animal biology, animal science, I think was like my, my decided major going in, but wanted to change paths and do more, um, genetic counseling actually was what I was super interested in. So changed over to just a general biology degree. You know, I was one of those people that was like, no, I'll never change my major. And, you know, they say like so many people do. So decided on that. Yeah, I wish I would have done that. I went to physical <laughs> therapy school and I wanted to do music. So I don't know, it didn't really work out, but it's, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, it gave me gave me some little background for what I do now. So you you went to you you went to Kentucky, you got your uh you graduated in biology. And what did you what did you start working on first? Yeah, I had a really unique opportunity, weirdly enough, about like 15 minutes south of Lexington, there's a smaller town called Nicholasville, Kentucky. And I had an opportunity to work at a compounding pharmacy. So, you know, took an entry-level position there, worked my way up, ended up doing some sales. But the reason I say it was a unique opportunity is because that compounding pharmacy really specialized in um, peptide products. So it was very, you know, foreign compounds of uh, very, you know, not your traditional compounding pharmacy that you would think of. So we worked with a lot of high-end doctors that were, were mostly cash pay in that integrative prevent, uh, preventative functional medicine space. Yeah. So it like opened my eyes to this whole new world. Um, and that's, yeah, really where, where I got my start, uh, you know, created a, 
a little nonprofit spinoff called the International Peptide Society from the the pharmacy that that I really ran and did a lot of content for, uh, just as more of an, an academic um, kind of kind of company informing people on how to use these products and what they really really meant according to the research and what they did. Yeah, I, I want to dive deeper into like the the compounds themselves, the peptides, yeah. and all these other things. Because I I just don't I think you hit uh, something that is really unique and interesting to people. Like, I don't think people understand that you go to a doctor, you know, you, your insurance, you give them your insurance, you pay whatever your copay, you get your, you know, they'll, they'll have a little mallet, they'll hit your knee, they'll touch you here, or like uh, underneath, you know, <laughs> your, underneath your, your neck and, and, and they'll listen to your heart and they'll give you a prescription for some medication that is exactly the same amount that you should take regardless of uh, your metabolic function or anything. They don't care. And you go to a pharmacy and get medicine, but there's a whole different type of medicine you can get from actual doctors, MDs, DOs, everything else. Cause they're, they're not, you know, not, they didn't go to medical school. They went to medical school, got the same degrees, but they practice a whole different type of um, medicine, which you, you mentioned, you know, functional. And, and I think people don't understand that, there is a way for us to practice medicine where it's more preventative, where it's looking at predispositions, looking at things and what we can do and more collaborative. So is, is that the way you kind of understand it as well? Oh, definitely. It's something I haven't like expanded on in, in such a long time. And it's so important because right now, just like you mentioned, we call that a sick care model. That is what we are currently in, where you only go to the doctor if you're sick. Maybe you do your like once yearly checkups where again you get the same prescription regardless of you know your your biological makeup so we're in this kind of awful feedback loop when really we should be going to the doctors when we're healthy when we have nothing wrong with us and making lifestyle changes or maybe taking a couple supplements here and, and there again depending on on who you are and what you're looking um for in terms of an outcome so it's it's about preventing diseases and that preventing that onset, right? You, you want to push diseases to have that later happen later in life, what we call health span, right? How, how many healthy years do you have on this life or have on this uh, earth during your life, I should say? Yeah, so I definitely want to get into the definition of that. But, you know, I, I find it really fascinating where this model, somebody told me that the pharmaceutical industry is the absolute number one subscription model in the world. There's no better subscription model because you go to a doctor, they give you a prescription, and then if you have side effects, which is fine because he can give you anything that's going to uh, give you side effects, but there's other medications for that too. So you are constantly on this revolving door and what better subscription model is there that has a pill for everything? And I find it fascinating. I was watching, I never really watched like traditional TV or regular TV, like whatever, Netflix and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, but I was watching, maybe it was sports or something like that where I was forced to watch commercials. And then this, these uh, medication commercials came on. And one of them I found was interesting. I think it was for acid reflux, which, okay, I mean, acid reflux. It's not, I, I, not a doctor, but I don't believe that it's it's something that's going to uh, be lethal. Uh, you know, it's it's you can address that with maybe over the counter medication. Maybe you can address it with you know 
changes of diet. Ooh, you know, who would have thought of that? But they have this medication and the side effects were literally cancer, uh, death and all this stuff. And I was like, wait a second, you're going to take a medication to help you quickly with your acid reflux that the side effect is death. Yeah. And people are taking it. And I go through it really quickly. I'm like, okay, well, you know, so I find it really interesting. But as you said, you know, preventative, a way to go about and looking at your body as, you know, this, there's a vessel, there's things going on. You should do an oil change. You should do all these different things to make sure your body is functioning correctly. So question for you, uh, in, what is like, what does epigenetic mean? What is that? Yeah. Love this question. We'll, we'll get the ball rolling here. So you said you have a great understanding for genetics. So let me define that first, right? Your genetics and, and hopefully, you know, most people have, have some, some understanding there. That's your genetic makeup, your, you know, your nucleotides, your A's and T's and C's and G's, these, your, your genetics, it's, it's not going to change. Those are the same in your eyes and, and your, your heart everywhere in your body. Whereas your epigenetics, epi is a Greek p- prefix that means above. So we're looking on top of your genetics, kind of on top of your DNA. And there are these epigenetic modifications that control how your genes are expressed. So they're like light switches, right? You're, you're turning some genes on, turning some genes off. Some people think about it like a, a computer system where your genetics is the hardware and your epigenetics is the software. So like our environment and all of these different things affect those those light switches, which is just super unique. Like you were saying, um, maybe change your diet or maybe do other things, right? To get a certain outcome of interest. Yeah, I, I, the analogy to use is one that I use all the time to explain genetics. I, I tell people all the time, you the born, you have DNA from your mother, DNA from your father, and it's programming. So I, maybe, maybe a computer... Uh, makes sense, but I, I like the light switch. So some things are turned on. There's like, think of it as all these light switches, like, like a, a panel in, in your, your electric panel, right? You have thing, things that are turned on and what you do with your lifestyle can actually turn those switches on or off. And hence yeah. the, the, so it's a great way to explain that, uh, and, and a great visual for people to have. So one of the ways that that expression uh, of your DNA happens is we talk about, you know, there's messenger RNA. Uh, there's also methylation, right? So m- maybe we can explain to people, and I, I want to get all this terminology down. So when, when we talk about this, people can say, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. So let, let's start with methylation. What What is methylation? What does that mean? Yeah. So like you said, there's epigenetics and there's all these kind of categories under epigenetics and ways epigenetics is like how you regulate your DNA. Let's put it that way. One that I would say is definitely the most popular is going to be more of the DNA methylation. And all that is, is a little methyl group, just a a carbon and three hydrogens being placed on top of your genes. And then if something is methylated, you're turning off that gene expression. And it's, really important to note that again, you want some things turned off and some things turned on, right? You want your cancer genes to be turned off, but you want your tumor suppressor genes to be turned on. So it's like this healthy pool or this healthy balance of, of methylation. Why is methylation important? Why, why is it something that I, I need to be aware of? Because 
doctors never talk about it. I've never gone to a healthcare professional and said, hey, we got to look at your methylation, your methyl group. Let, let, let me see. And I, I, I take it back. There, there were a couple of, not with me, but with other people where somebody talks about, you know, MTHFR and folic acid. So there, that does come up in that conversation, but only strictly related to that. Maybe we're even getting to a level where uh, we didn't get to to that to define that yet. But wh- why is that important? Yeah. So if I talk about the start of epigenetics and when it really became this buzzword and really popular, that was in about 2011 and 2013. And the reason it became so popular and important is because um, PhD, his name is Dr. Steve Horvath, actually saw how highly correlated these DNA methylation markers in particular were to age. So there's a super, super strong correlation where basically we can look at these DNA methylation markers in in your blood and predict your age from it. And you just don't see those correlations in in science. It had like an R value of, you know, 0.96 or or something crazy. You just don't see that. So that was such a breakthrough in this, in this kind of, yeah, epigenetic world. So, how do we know what to turn on, what to turn off? And is that with methyl donors? Like what is the process of that? Yeah, definitely. The answer, easy answer is we're still learning, right? We don't know exactly what we want turned on and turned off. You know, there's some generalized things like I gave the example with the cancer genes. I don't know if I'd be getting too deep here, but there's a study. It's really cool. It actually- now, Please, please get really, really deep because okay. I, this is for me. Uh, sorry, people. I don't really care, but I'm here to learn. <laughs> Perfect. Then you'll love this study. But I love this research because it actually takes genetics and epigenetics and looks at them together. So what they look at is women who have an MTHFR variant for the six, uh, and it's the 677CC variant. So they're homozygous there. And then also men who actually have the MTHFR 677TT variant. They notice that those people in particular have faster aging, biological aging because of their DNA methylation. Now, what they noticed is if they supplemented with a methylated cofactor, which is, I think, you know, the question you're asking, like the 5-methylfolate or the methylcobalamin, they almost see an instantaneous reversal in, in their biological aging. And I, uh, one discrepancy here, they only saw it in women in that study, but I think it was because they gave the same dosing to both men and women. I don't know why they did that. You know, they, if they increase the dosing, you'd probably see the same effect in men. So yes, the, the methyl donors, those are going to affect methylation and you can get those, you know, through a lot of foods or, or supplementation, um, of, of course. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you the the importance of food, but uh, before I do that, I, I didn't mean to lead you in this direction. But you basically said the thing that I've been saying for the last like seven to eight years: understanding your genetics. And people are like, "Your genetics don't change. Why do I need to know that? I just need to know my epigenetics, or I need to." And I was talking to this, uh, uh, sci- this Israeli scientist. He's like, "It's RNA." All we need to know is RNA because we need to uh, control the messenger uh, groups that are going. I said, but one thing that I don't understand, if you don't know your genetic predispositions, how are you going to know what you want to turn on and off? You have to look at your predispositions. That, that was my theory uh, all along. Like you start with DNA, you then have something that you can you can consume. Like let's let's talk about food, which uh, I want to talk about next. And then you can measure 
And, and the measure is from a baseline. And I definitely want to talk about what true diagnostic does and everything else. But we want to have a baseline and then we want to see and measure how well that's working. But if you're just using, you know, different methyl groups without knowing what you should be turning on and off, you may be turning on something you may want to keep in the off position. That's what I was thinking. Does that, does that make sense? Exactly. No, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Right. And, um, that's really unfortunate, right? That people think that way because I love epigenetics, you know, that's like my area of expertise and studies, but I, I know I, just definitively that we have to look at other omic groups. You have to look at genetics. You have to look at metabolomics, proteomics, transcriptomics. So, you know, the RNA phenomics, you, you have to look at all of it together. They're all signaling each other. So you, you can't have one without the other. It's, it's really difficult when you're going through such a complex system, such as the human body, right? I, I just think that people also undervalue food as like, you know, we talk about these things and eating healthy and eating right. And we look at the food pyramid that, you know, I grew up, I'm, I'm probably a couple of years older than you. Uh, but when, when, I, when I grew up, we had a food pyramid that had cereal on it. It had breads on it, it had all these things. I'm like, it doesn't seem right. And, you know, I grew up, it's, it's fine. You know, I, I, I survived, but, but, uh, there, we have, we have this fuel source that is so important to us and what we put in our bodies. If we can measure how that actually turns things on and off, I mean, maybe we don't even need medication or, you know, supplementation. Maybe we can just get that with food. If it's specific to us, is there a way to be able to, to use food for that? Yeah, definitely. There, there are some, you know, really great superfoods, they say, right. That are, are rich in, in methyl donors or again, ways we can add methylation or, you know, maybe take it away in the case that we don't want it. Um, things like a lot of leafy greens, right. Um, like you when you starting to, when you start to get into to some of your, um, uh, tree shaped in, in the stemmed uh, veggies like your cauliflower and your broccoli, um, even things like liver, uh, right? Uh, whether that's through uh, eating liver, I don't eat liver, um, but supplementation, right? So, so some of those um, eggs, for example, um, are real are they're becoming really big, kind of in in terms of their uh, ability to give you all of these nutrients, right? They're very nutrient dense. So there's definitely superfoods out there that we know can have such a positive effect. And they say, you know, food is medicine, right? And that's yeah. so true. That is, is such a true statement. Um, you know, when you get more into the aging realm, we see really great diets like the Mediterranean diet um, work very well. Um, diet quality matters too. So there's a, a diet called DASH, which is Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And that really talks more about uh, more legumes, more whole grains, fruits, veggies, uh, less sugar sweetened beverages, less sodium. Actually, that one says less red meats as well. So um you're you couldn't be more right, Lynn. <laughs> so you know you shouldn't follow uh, Liver King's uh, diet <laughs> suggestions just to eat a bunch of meat and liver and, and steroids. Oh oops. I mean uh you know uh this I'm not I'm not, it's not a fact. I'm just stating a, a joke hypothetical. Yeah. So Liver King <laughs> Liver King, please don't sue me. <laughs> I think he's too busy with his, with his own lawsuit. So, <laughs> but Probably. food is an interesting thing because, like you know, there is uh, Dr. Gundry who talks about lectins, right? So, he, all these different foods, and I don't eat meat, 
And for me to maintain a lectin-free diet was an extremely difficult thing. So no legumes, no all these different things, et cetera. And it was very, very difficult. Uh, and also when I looked at my microbiome, I can I started seeing that maybe certain foods that may be good for me, like an example, bell peppers, they seem to be an inflammatory food for me. So yes, as a whole, food is extremely important, but maybe we can find a way to personalize food for us. So here's your, you know, your, your genetic predispositions. Here's some of your, your microbiome or other things that may be um, inflammatory foods for you. Let's find within that a balance and then look at the methyl donors and look at those uh, rich green vegetables and all those things. But they're specific to me because I have a specific gut microbiome and there is a connection between the two. So are we even having this conversation? Do people, do, do people do this? Or is this something that's like, you know, next level futuristic stuff? Yeah. I mean, it seems like such a simple concept, right? And it's like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that or, or you know, some big, big business idea. Um, it's happening. You, you know, I, I, as, as days go on, as, you know, our fields become more in depth and infatuated with all of this great research, it will become way more personalized. The, the one thing about epigenetics that is so exciting, but just equally as frustrating is that it is so new. We're still uncovering and understanding a lot of, of what this means. And, you know, same with genetics, we're still finding new things. Um, so we'll have to, you know, edit, uh, kind of plans and protocols, procedures, you know, interventional diets as, as time goes on. But, um, I definitely see it, it getting there, there in the future. And that'd be great, right? You're, you're optimizing yourself, um, from within starting with, with a healthy diet and, and good food. And who doesn't, who doesn't love food? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I think people get all confused. Like, well, that means I'm going to have to eat car- uh, food that tastes like cardboard all the time. Like, no, you don't. I mean, food, there's so much amazing choices. Uh, maybe because I live in LA, uh, I have all those options. Maybe in uh, uh, Dayton, Ohio, you have limited options, but I'm sh- still, I'm sure you can find something that's going to be uh, aligned with you. Uh, so what are, what are methylation, um, what are methylation adaptogens? What, what does that even mean? Yeah. So method methylation adaptogens, those are going to come in and, and really alter, um, your, your epigenetics in, in another way. So, so these adaptogens are going to just be kind of transposable elements on, on the DNA. So let me think of a, a good example here. Um, you can also have them from, from food, from different foods and, and different lifestyle factors. And I know you can talk about different aptogens. Sorry, I'm pronouncing that adaptogens with, with genetics too, and in different predispositions. So it, it is a, a part of methylation. I would say not one that I'm as familiar with, but definitely, uh, have to dig a little bit deeper in the research to learn more. Yeah, there, it definitely, there are different foods and, and things that are, uh, that seem to be really good, strong adaptogens and, and, right. and supplementations, but you're absolutely right. All right. Let, let's get into this, uh, controversy that I'm going to start. I don't think it's a controversy. I'm just starting a controversy. Let's hear uh, So you mentioned Stephen Horvath, who's got the Horvath clock and, and explain to people one more time. You, you talked, you talked about it, but let's set the stage. Biological age. What is biological age and why is that important? 
Yeah. So everyone knows their chronological age, right? That's how many years you've been on this earth or how many candles you blow out if you celebrate your birthday or or not, right? Um, but there's this idea of aging at a biological level where where your cells are aging, your your tissues are aging, your organs are aging, you're aging as a as a system. Um, and that's really important because chronological age isn't a good biomarker, right? Len, we we know people who are 30 that look like they're 50 and vice versa. So there's this idea of phenotypic variation. Um, so yeah, biological aging just as a really simple definition is is how you're aging on a cellular level. Yeah. A, a great explanation. And then you're absolutely right. You see people that you're looking at them like, you're how old? Like, yeah. wow, you look great. Or like, you're how old? Or, mm, all right, uh, let me, uh, uh, let me, uh, I'll keep my comments myself on, on that. Right. One. But, <laughs> but so, so you mentioned Stephen Horvath. Now, there's also David Sinclair uh, that is uh, part of this. So I, I'm just trying to figure out because there's sort of these two schools and two poles and, and the, uh, why, why are there, why is there descent? Why isn't there, we are talking biological age. Why are there all these different people are pulling in different directions and what, what's different between, you know, one theory versus the other and, and what yeah. you guys do at, at true diagnostic. Such a loaded question. And I love it. <laughs> um, no one talks about this really. I'm, I'm so serious though. Um, and, and I appreciate, I appreciate the question. Um, where should I start? So you know, talking about Horvath, talking about Sinclair, they're they're interested in, in different things. Dr. Steve Horvath is a biostatistician or a bioinformaticist. So he doesn't care why we age. He doesn't want to cure aging or reverse it even or fix it. All he thinks is that it's really cool. There's a correlation, right? He, he has this mathematical brain. I, I actually met him myself um, when when we originally uh, before we we opened True Diagnostic, and and he's great very, very intelligent, but isn't in it for the biology part. You have Dr. David Sinclair, on the other hand, right, who is, is definitely in it for the biology and has a lot of really great studies about um, restoring vision in mice and, and kind of finding out the role that epigenetics plays in the body and, and kind of, um, you know, all of his work with, with NAD and NMN and, and, and R. So he is in it for, for the biology and he has a really, really um, huge following, you know, he wrote the book lifespan that, that you all may know. So, um, and, and he's opening up a company called tally health here in, in the near future. Now, if we get into the differences between true diagnostic and, and tally health, um, you know, it's like night and day there, there are a lot of differences there. Um, we're both really trying to produce this biological age for consumers, but there are a lot of ways to measure biological age. We know that DNA methylation is going to be the most precise, sensitive, and accurate way to actually do that. So um, we we are, both companies, Tally Health and True Diagnostic are looking at those, those markers of interest. Now, something that True Diagnostic does is we only use published validated algorithms in the literature to report out on our findings. And that's super important. Um, we always joke internally, but I mean, we're serious is if you're not using published validated algorithms, it's like going to a fortune teller and being like, Hey, what's my, you know, what's my biological age? Because you don't know. Right. Um, and that's scary, especially if you have like a, a scientific background and you want validity behind a certain measurement. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure which algorithms tally health will be using. So I can't necessarily speak to that at this, this moment, but, um, I know nothing is published yet 
Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what they, they publish and, and what they find. One thing I want to uh, differentiate between as well is True Diagnostic actually uses a blood spot card. Um, so you prick your finger, you know, you put a little uh, blood sample on that card, you ship it back to us. It's super important to use blood just because that blood is going to um, only be used in published validated algorithms. So they kind of go hand in hand, right? I think Tally Health is, is doing a saliva sample. So that's something to be a little bit aware about just because any published validated algorithms to date haven't been done in saliva, but they may be, you know, publishing their, their own paper there. Yeah. I, I, I did that myself, the, uh, your true diagnostic test. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of stress, uh, before I had to prick my finger, just saying, which I had to psych myself up to prick my finger. It wasn't yeah. bad. And then the other thing that I made sure is you don't, when you're, when you have your blood in your finger, you don't want to take that blood and put it on the, the card. You want to kind of drip it. So I was just following the instructions uh, to the T. But uh, yeah, it was it, it's much easier, I guess, to do a saliva one. That, but you, if it's more accurate, then why why waste time? Yeah, I, I got over it. So it's a finger prick. It's not a not a big deal. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, def- definitely. Kind of have to weigh. You know, are those? Yeah, am I okay with a finger prick and it being kind of a having better, um, you know, statistics around the, the outcome or is it okay to just, you know, easier spit in a tube and, and the, the results be as not as, as okay. So I know some people don't like pricking their fingers, um, but can always use, you know, blood draws or, or different things too. I, I didn't like it, but I did it. It's I know it's hard. It is hard. And those, those lancets hurt. I'll be honest. Right. Like I even give blood every eight weeks just to give it and, I always like their lances don't hurt as much as ours. Like it must be really spring loaded or something. Cause you're, it, it was sore. definitely spring loaded. It was, it was a little bit of a shock. I was like, yeah, that's not, that's eh, a little, like little thing. I looked at the needle yeah. because you had two of them. So I looked at one. I'm like, I can deal with it. It's not a big deal. And when I actually did it, I'm like, Oh, that, nah. but anyway, it was, uh, it was okay. So, so uh, going back to uh, Sinclair, his company is going to be Tally health. Yeah. Right? T- a L L Y. Yeah. So does that have anything to do with Talimir's? Is it is a name related to that? Or is he or this has or is it tally where it's like you're just doing a tally? I'm just curious because I wanted to ask about Talimir's. There's spelling obviously is different when you said it, but I was just wondering uh, because I know that there's conversation like I've had so many conversations with people who are trying to talk about biological age and like well, you just have to look at your length of your telomeres. If yeah. you have, uh, if they're shorter, uh, it's uh, you live uh, uh, less. If you're longer, you live longer. Is there a correlation between that? What what, what is that? What does it even mean? Yeah, Tally Health. I have no idea where that name came from. <laughs> um, never even really thought about it. So that's pretty cool that, that connection you made. I think it's probably like tallying the years. Now that I think about it, but that's totally a wild guess. Um, Coming back to telomeres, great subject to talk about because again, people have very different views. Um, I will go from what's been been shown in the literature um, and, and what's been you know shown in, in in the research. So telomeres have been studied for as long as I can remember, for as long as we can remember. My theory is they've been studied so much and so long because we still don't know what the heck they do or how important they really are. Because um you know, they only make up about 2% of the entire phenotypic aging process. So it's very, very small. Whereas, you know, epigenetic methylation 
actually makes up about 35%. They're one of the nine hallmarks of aging or many hallmarks of aging. Now they keep adding more. And you're right, Len, in the fact that they do become smaller as we become older. But it's more of just like a, a very tiny correlation. We don't know the causation. So we do report out on telomeres. But, and again, this, this will go deep into the science. So this one's for you. Um, we use the telomere length report as more of a senescent cell check-in. So yeah, those senescent cells being zombie cells, you know, if you're in the lower percentile, you have more senescent cells, you clear them out with a senolytic, you get rid of your shorter telomeres and average, you bump up your average telomere length, essentially. That, that That's like, if, if somebody wants to read Lifespan, uh, David Sinclair's book, he goes into that in a lot of detail. That's one of his main... Uh, I guess, hypothesis of aging. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you you said that with the zombie cells. So going back to what we started talking about, what are peptides anyway? What are- yeah, peptides. Uh, it seems like this kind of scary word. It's, it's a buzzword now. People still talk about them. They are just naturally occurring little amino acid sequences in your body, right? Um, so they're, they're natural. They're, they're natural. Um, and there are actually, you know, artificial ones that we would create at the compounding pharmacy to be able to, um, yeah, kind of give those natural occurring compounds in our body a little boost or so you could say. Why do I need that? And do I, do I measure my level of peptides and say, oh, these peptides level levels are low. I need to subsidize. Yeah. I use that. So a really good example of, of a peptide, hopefully everyone's pretty familiar with is, is insulin. You know, that's, you know, just a, a natural kind of occurring peptide in the body. There's different hormones that are considered to be peptides like oxytocin, you know, the love hormone, right? So, and glutathione um, in, in the body. So, you know, there's some we may measure and not know that they're, they're peptides, but where I really worked in more of this preventative care, you would take these peptides when you're healthy. So one of my favorite peptides, for example, is going to be called thymosin alpha one. Um, it's also called TA one. You'll see it referred to, uh, this, this peptide is actually FDA approved. Um, but it's, it's a really nice, um, peptide that will help with immunosenescence. You know, it's like a booster for the immune system. So people would take this maybe before they're traveling, right. They're getting exposed maybe to a lot of different cultures or, or, different viruses, et cetera. Um, people took this when they first started hearing about COVID because maybe it could help with, you know, COVID infection. So people really use the peptides. Um, we were creating again, as more of a way to prevent the onset of, of different sicknesses. Yeah. So more of a, like an, an immune boosting supplement in a way. Like- exactly. So a lot of these peptides are going to be, um, injections actually. So they're going to be little, you know, subcutaneous kind of just or intramuscular in- injections. Um, a lot of them, you feel better from them right away. That's why everyone loves peptides. You know, there's some peptides like it's called melanotan that make you tan. There's some, um, one called PT141. That's also actually FDA approved that helps increase your libido. And, uh, you know, so, so there's all types of, uh, kind of crazy products, uh, that we would offer, but really yeah. fun line of work. Yeah, it's it's exactly what you said. Some of them you feel right away because I I know that you go to some functional uh, doctors and they give you injection like it's a, a B injection like you can get a you can get an IV drip which I I don't get so people I, I don't like to get my blood drawn and some blood blood me even though I'm all tattooed on my needles but it's <laughs> thing of, my my blood belongs to me I don't want to 
I'm good for, I'll share in other ways, but the blood's going to have to stay in my body. But there's a, there's this, uh, there's this, you know, you get these IV drips and like you walk out. Okay. But when you get a B, B shot, you feel yeah. that, that, that makes you feel a certain way. So people love the things that you can feel right away. Um, so let's talk about stem cells. Now, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what your knowledge of stem cells are. Mine is limited and uh, in some ways, I, I definitely read a bunch of books on it. And, and I, I, I'm trying to, first of all, let, let's talk about what are stem cells. And then uh, let's talk about what's permitted, what's legal, what's not legal. Both of us not being attorneys. Uh, I'm, I'm not an attorney. You're not an attorney, I'm, I'm assuming, right? So we're, we're, no, we're definitely gonna, we're, not, not going to talk about legalities in the, if from, from that standpoint that we know the law, but just what, from what we kind of... Uh, know and read and et cetera. Yeah. You know, stem cells are, oh, there's, there's like all different types of stem cells, right? You can get stem cells right now. You can even get exosomes. People sometimes I think get those confused too. Um, but stem cells are going to be like these, the body's raw materials almost, right? So they're these newer cells that are going to, they're these cells from which all these other cells are, are have specialized function and are, and are generated. So, you know, you can, you can get stem cell injections, for example, or, you know, you always hear the stories about people going to Mexico, right. And getting like the full treatment of stem or Panama, um, getting the full, you know, treatment of these, these stem cells. So it's, it's kind of this, like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's a cell that's not differentiated yet, right? And you're sending it maybe even to certain spots of the body. So like athletes, for example, may get like a stem cell injection in their knee if they're having knee pain, right? And need like more support there. But some people use them more for, for like a functional uh, preventative purpose as well. So a lot of different utility, a lot of uses, a lot of legality questions around yeah. from sourcing. Well, yeah, well, I, I think it's there's a, there's a, a level of... So Robert Harari... Who's actually partners with Peter Diamandis and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and Tony Robbins? I think Tony Robbins wrote a book. I'm trying to remember, it was it called? I'm trying to remember his book. I'll, I'll remember it in a minute. I'll, I'll Google it. Yeah. But he he wrote a book uh, that they're opening up these found life centers. And Robert yeah. Harari, uh, which are interesting, uh, extremely expensive, but interesting. The, the the concept makes a lot of sense. It's something we're talking about preventative, uh, you know, medicine, but. One of the things that he talked about is sort of scaffolding. And I remember that analogy because, and, and he started discovering uh, stem cells from placenta. And the, one of the reasons why I believe stem cells were illegal is because they came from embryonic, embryonic stem cells, from embryos. Yep. And I remember during one of the presidential administrations, I think it's Bush, uh, but, you know, not, not, you know, being political in any way, I, I think there was a lot of uh, resistance to using embryonic stem cells, which whatever your opinion is, that okay, that's fine. But now we have other scaffolding available to us. We have placenta stem cells, which we used to throw out in the trash. We have, we have stem cell uh, made from leaves. We have organs that were growing from you know, scaffolding uh, and now 3D printing the, these things. Uh, I, I have no idea why it's illegal. There are, I think, three labs that can sell stem cells. I don't, California, you can't even get 
uh, stem cells. So I'm, I'm trying to understand where the controversy is besides the embryonic uh, state, that, which I mentioned. Yeah, you did. Thank you for that great overview of stem cells. You gave a great like historical introduction compared to, oh, here's, <laughs> here's what they are um, type of thing. But um, yeah, I don't know where that controversy lies. I think it, I think people are still stuck on the embryonic phase and, yeah. and maybe just not like willing to open up their mind to the new technology because when a new technology comes out, right, people get really worked up about it. They're not sure what to believe and it's really hard for them to understand. Um, there's a, a couple of clinics we work with actually use these different type of stem cells. They're called, um, they're actually called V cells, but they're um, vessel-like embryonic stem cells. And they're actually... Um, these stem cells that you guide through the body with uh, these these types of lights and lasers, and it sounds really foreign, but we actually get uh, you know really great results with uh, kind of shifting some of those methylation markers in your favor too. Well, that's exactly what I was going to ask you about yeah. the correlation between, uh, and I want to ask you about exosomes since you brought that, those up in a second. I just want to uh, I'll give you a chance to kind of gather your uh, thoughts on exosomes, but the whole thing with stem cell, I, I can tell you from our experience we're dealing with people that have conditions. When, when we're looking at their endocannabinoid system, we can see imbalances in their endocannabinoid system. We can see their predispositions, uh, genetic predispositions. We can, uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, that's a great example. Uh, we've had patients that went to Germany, that went to Mexico and had stem cell treatments. And uh, I'm not going to say that they're cured of multiple sclerosis, but I can tell you that all the symptoms that they were expressing previously have gone away. Now, it's not just one thing. And I want to make it clear for anybody's listening. It's not stem cells. And then I'm going to eat McDonald's every single day. It's not like that. It, everything you do in all this functional medicine space and epigenetic space has, it's not just one thing. You're not going to, my friend's going to kill me, but he doesn't listen to my podcast. I have a friend who eats he loves fast food, very unhealthy. But he says, told me the other day, but I walked for 10 miles today and then we're going to go and, and eat some McDonald's afterwards. So I'm like, everything you just put in, you just took away by doing that. So yep. it, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You have to do. So these people modified their, their, the way they eat, uh, remove sugar. And I, I want to emphasize over and over and over inflammation. We're talking about cause of aging and all that stuff. Inflammation is the cause of everything. My mom used to tell me stress is the cause of all diseases. You know what? She's kind of right in a way. She just didn't know the mechanism. So if, if right. you have that stress, you have that cortisol, you have that overactive immune response, everything is interconnected. It's not just one thing. And you have this inflammation and then everything is out of whack. So doing one thing is not going to fix it. But it, it's long-winded explanation to let people understand that if you're going to do a treatment of some sort, stem cells, you're going to go out and, and Tony Robbins was talking about, you know, he got in a, a skiing accident and he was in really bad shape and he had stem cell injections and he goes, it was like night and day. People couldn't believe, but also not just doing that. He's also modified his eating. His exercises, his mental health, all these different things, just not one. So I want to make sure that people understand, but this is the future. And I don't know what government agency, if anybody's listening in any agency, we can now make stem cells, not from embryos, but we can make them through material that is 
thrown away. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's placenta and other things besides that. So please, let's give this amazing, amazing scaffolding to the people that really, really need it because I think we can use it for a bunch of different things. All right, exosomes. <laughs> oh, if you want to comment on stem cells, sorry. Yeah, I just went off on no, tangents. <laughs> I'll comment. I'm not going to lie. I love fast food. Um, I don't eat it though, right? I, I know it's awful for you. Um, and yes, very familiar, like I mentioned, with Fountain Life and it's great. Everything they're doing, super high tech, amazing. Um, stem cells, I think they will make movement in this industry. I just think we need to keep pushing the boundaries and the limits of, of what's going to happen. Exosomes are essentially in, in the same realm, right? They're these kind of um, extracellular little vesicles that are, are put into the body and they're, they're essentially messengers, right? They're, they're a little bit different um, than, than stem cells, but they're, they're intended to be specific messengers to tell certain things what to do. Because the definition, when you're coming back to it all, the definition of aging is deterioration among your, your cells, right? Your cells start to look a little bit more alike their signaling gets messed up. They don't know who they're talking to. So there's this entire dysfunction of the, the system. So if you're supplementing, again, with the stem cells, with these brand new uh, signaling molecules, it's like everything can straighten back out and you the cells know who they're supposed to talk to, right? They start to, to look like the cells that they're supposed to look like instead of kind of one big, I don't know, glob yeah, I'm glad of, you brought of that the same up thing. Too, I, I forgot. I forgot about that even uh, take any notes on it, but you know, like cell death, right? Cells and apoptosis and, and, and the way we age and you mentioned, and then we have the zombies and we have these free radicals, all these different things. But I remember Dave Asprey was a big proponent of the mitochondria, right? And then he went off on his own little tangents here and there based on business. I, I, I love some of the stuff that, that Dave uh, talks about and, and uh, he's a very anti non-meat eaters. Uh, so I, I find that really strange that you would take that angle. That's your personal choice. But anyway, mitochondria. So because it, the way I describe it, it's sort of the battery, right? It's the energy center. It creates cells. So is there anything that we're doing in, in aging that will help us be able to sort of stimulate mitochondria so it creates new uh, new cells? Uh, is that a way, you know, for is eating uh, good, healthy things? Is there, I don't even know if there's a measure of that that exists, but it would make sense. Like if you're, if, if you want to produce or limit uh, cells dying, wouldn't you want to recharge your cell battery to make new cells? It, exactly. So the mitochondria, what happens, it's like all of these little pathways, like, like, I don't know, put together like this. I don't know. The video will be used here, but you're, you're, you kind of have these pathways together. And as you age, these pathways get like squished. And, um, again, that signaling gets thrown off. You're not holding that, that rigid mitochondria. It needs to be, you know, it, it needs to hold its shape in order to be able to function. Like you mentioned, it's the powerhouse of the cell. So funny enough, there are a couple peptides that, that really help mitochondrial function. One of them is called MOTS-C. Um, that was like really the one that opened the wave to help your, your mitochondria function um, in the way they should. But one that's a lot more exciting is actually called SS-31. So SS-31 peptide. It's a synth synthetic peptide um, that improves your mitochondrial function. And it's uh, actually going 
undergoing all these kind of trials for, for different treatment. Um, but one injection of this SS31 peptide is equaled, is e- equal to wow. months of endurance training. Um, it's yeah, there, there's a really great paper. Um, I can, I can send it to you if you want to, you know, list it out for your readers. Um, again, unfortunately, a lot of these peptides are really hard to find now. And why I got away from that space is because, um, the FDA is going after them. <laughs> you know, I think they, they become, became a little busy with COVID. So that wasn't their, their main kind of end goal, but they're shutting down a lot of these pharmacies, um, and only making you do things that are FDA approved. So it's, it's just become a very awful, um, yeah, space to be in. They were so, so, so SSR, SS31 and, and MOTC are not FDA approved and they do not need a prescription from a doctor to get it? Uh, you would need uh, a prescription technically from a doctor to get it. There are some uh, peptide companies online, you know, for research use only where you can get these peptides. Um, take that yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, people, you, you know, when, uh, by definition, a compounding pharmacy can create anything. They can compound anything. Um, the FDA is coming in and putting laws down that says, hey, you can only, because of lobbying, you can only do FDA-approved products. Guess what? That means they can't even compound stevia. They can't make sugar. Right, right, right. It's- Someone riddle me that. I, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, th- there's some, I know, small compounding pharmacies. You can still get them who are kind of, you know, flying under the radar. Um, but people are using them for longevity, right? To again increase that mitochondrial function, have better overall cell health and cell right, cell regulation. So I, I know we kind of touched on it, but I, I want to give you a chance to explain true diagnostic and how, how it works. Uh, and I, I did it myself. I'm still waiting for my uh, my biological age. I think uh, I'm hoping to shave off maybe two to three years, and then. Uh, See if I can get, uh, but I just had a conversation with somebody who was turned 45. Their biological age was 48. And I was like, man, I'm concerned. I mean, you're, you're older. He goes, yeah, but I dropped 80 pounds. So they're doing better. They used to be extremely overweight. And now I think their biological age was much higher and they're working their way to getting that. So your goal overall is to have a biological age that's hopefully lower than your chronological age, which will then improve your health span, which will then improve your lifespan. Because I think one of my biggest fears is, and it, I'm not the only one, obviously, many people is like to be incapacitated when I'm old. And all the studies, like your last 15 years of life is like your most miserable 15 years or, or, or longer of life. People are sick of, you know, wearing diapers and all that stuff. I, I don't want to do that. Uh, even I don't, that's why people are like, I don't want to live. I talk to older people. Like I don't want to live to a hundred. I don't want right. to be like X, you know, whatever. So yeah. Anyway, how does true diagnostic work? Yeah, definitely. I'll just start from the top. You know, you get a little kit, blood spot card. We, we talked about that. You ship it back. We measure about 900,000 different methylation markers on top of your DNA. And we interpret those with those published validated algorithms I mentioned to look at how you're aging in all of these different ways. So, you know, we, we even do more than just that though. So epigenetic methylation isn't just biological aging. It's a biomarker. So we have a couple really fun reports, some other disease-based reports that we can give you as well. And you get this really nice comprehensive overview of your health. And what happens then is, is we can um, 
go over your results with you once you get them, them back and start to make changes because it's changeable. That's the benefit of this epigenetic methylation testing is you take a baseline, you implement some really great protocols and, and based on the literature, we can talk about that, different interventional trials. Then you retest again in six months or maybe 12 months and you know see if those changes are working or maybe not working. You know Maybe you want to adjust something. Maybe you want to get off certain medication. So it's it's like you're, again, it needs a different word, but it's like you're biohacking your body. Um, it, it's objective data. The data does not lie, right? It, it's actually proof if, if what you're doing is, is validating, if it's working or if it's not working. So let's get into that. Uh, I wanted to really see what practical things you can do to reduce your biological age. And you talked about interventions. And we mentioned food uh, in a way, but so... I do. I did my uh, my true diagnostic test. I am uh, now uh, instead of fifty, I'm forty, uh, which is great. Uh, maybe even I'll go into my twenties uh, yeah. at some point. That's my goal, and then start over again. But so I got my age. What do I do? What are the interventions? What can you do? And and maybe you can also talk about what can you do like day to day. So or or what are the things you you may need to have, you know, physician intervention, like you mentioned, some of the peptides, maybe those are other things that you can do, but you need a, a physician to prescribe that. Yeah, definitely. I, I love starting with lifestyle factors first, right? That's like, if, if you don't get those in, in line and in tune, it's like putting a bandage over that and um, not addressing that, that real issue. So, you know, less stress, better sleep, better diet. We chatted about well, sleep, I'm going to ask you a question on sleep. Yeah. Better sleep, are there, and, and by the way, there's a, a million sleep experts and, yeah. and studies and all that stuff. And uh, we, we know Michael Bruce, the, the sleep doctor and all that stuff. So it's the quality of the sleep that you get is important. Is that, is that correct? Not just eight hours a night. Correct. Tells you, eight hours a night. Actually, quality looks to be a little bit more important with the methylation than quantity. We know quantity is important, but there was a study done with the women's uh, health initiative where people who essentially had more insomnia related like symptoms had worse, worse off aging. Right. So it's definitely more about the the quality as well, but quantity too. So they're, they're definitely both interrelated. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the exercise regimen, right. You want to get, get good aerobic, anaerobic, a really nice mix you don't want to be going in the gym, pumping weights every day and sweating. Um, you definitely want to do more of the walking, the, the, the yoga, you know, the breathing exercises as well. Those are considered exercises. Um, you know, obviously limit your alcohol intake, limit your, your cigarette smoking, tobacco, your, any, any toxic based exposure or load. Those all have to do, you know, with, with changing methylation for, for the worse, not the better. Um, so those are some, some really, uh, you know, quick, lifestyle tips and, and tricks. Um, we talked a little bit about the supplements, the methylated B vitamins, the most studied supplement. Um, and, and probably my, my favorite, if I were to say, you know, what's one thing for your, your biological age would definitely be vitamin D. Um, that's just been, you know, a, a good one time and time again. Can I, can I just interrupt for a second? Yeah. I have a vitamin D story. So I, I had a, a doctor, well, I went to uh, get my, uh, uh, my, physical yeah, and got my physical. Everything was good. But he's, he's like, yeah, your vitamin D levels are, are low. I'm like, well, it's 90% of the, of the people are have low vitamin D, but okay. He goes, I'm going to prescribe some vitamin D. 
and I, I don't get prescription medication. I don't take anything. I, I'm prescribed vitamin D. I thought it was odd. So yeah, I go to my, my CVS pharmacy, called it in. I had to set up an account because I never used uh, them before. So I go, I get my vitamin D, I bring it home, I look at it, and it said 50,000 IUs. And I was like, what? That seems very high. Why would I need that? I started looking at the internet and people are reporting like bleeding, uh, all kinds of health uh, side effects from taking a very, very high dose of vitamin D. Then I started seeing that there was a trend for like a minute where doctors were prescribing a very, very high dose of vitamin D without any knowledge of what you need. So I was like, yeah, I threw that in the trash and took it up. 5,000. Yeah. Uh, very, very <laughs> odd. I think I remember that trend as well. I'm seeing it like in, in the news and random blog posts. Uh, well, uh, the reason why I bring this up to people is like, yes, I'm not saying don't trust your doctor. Uh, not at all, because some people are, have amazing healthcare professionals that work with them. Just do your own due diligence on things. Just take a pause just because it's not, it's no longer 1935 where like, here we go. Take this and don't ever question it. Right. You know, like question it. It's okay to question. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, um, you know, supplement. uh, There's one called alpha ketoglutarate that looks super interesting. Um, It's really good for those athletes out there listening or people who may overtrain. It's it's really good for cellular repair and and recovery. Um, You know, you can kind of get into the medication and, and the supplements. Those may blend a little bit together. We really like DHEA for mitigating the cortisol levels, right? Lowering those. Um, you know, we're still looking into like the NMN, the NR, the, the NAD. Can you get DHEA over the counter or do you need a prescription for it? Or does it matter which one you get? You, you, it doesn't matter which one you get. They're essentially all the same, but you can get it over the counter. I know in Canada, it's considered a prescription. So different like countries, it's a little bit different. Um but, but yeah, you know, medication wise, we're, we're still learning a lot. Uh, there's, you know, some, some different, I would say in, injections and peptides and things, but again, the research becomes a lot less exciting because they're really hard to source. So a lot of people are staying away from those clinical trials. Um, and we have a lot going on with, uh, I would say more of the procedural based things like the hyperbaric oxygen chamber therapy. That was my next yeah, question. Yeah. I was going to ask you about hyperbaric oxygen. Yeah. They did a study in Israel, um, you know, a couple of years back, uh, looking at DNA methylation as it relates to telomere length, um, and saw really good results. The paper was okay. I'll be honest. Um, so we're doing our own clinical trial with Dr. Jason Saunders. He's an expert in, in hyperbaric and, um, our, I think we're actually running those samples now. So, you know, it takes time to do the before and after testing and, and, and get those results. So we'll, we'll be exciting to find out what we see. So, so what would you say your biggest obstacles are as a company uh, like to be able to overcome, because I can tell you, you know, from, from our company, there's been a bunch. So first of all, I already mentioned DNA. Okay. DNA, blah, blah, blah. people don't understand it. Yeah. Doesn't don't think you can do anything about it. All right. That's your sentence. That's it. But that's not the case, obviously with, uh, with epigenetics. And then the other thing is because we were, in the cannabis space, that's oh, you know, there's so many different obstacles with with uh, with even though we have this amazing endocannabinoid system. Oh no, if you even mention endocannabinoids, you know, Google will block you. Yeah, maybe I just mentioned endocannabinoids in this program, so this may get blocked too. Who knows? 
<laughs> I get yeah. posted. But what are some of the biggest obstacles you guys have to overcome? Great question. When I just think about like the company in general, because you know we have a lot of different like buckets and, and projects and things going on. Education. I think it just boils down to that. Like it's so it's so simple, right? And it, it, it sounds so silly, and people are probably like, "Oh, that's stupid." Um, no education. People do not know what epigenetics is. When they think of DNA methylation, they think of MTHFR and CompT genes. They think of SNPs, and it's different. So even some healthcare providers don't know that. And and I'm glad they they're still signing up for an account and willing to learn, right? Um, but it's it's education. So again, as we get more research, as I'm having conversations with people like you, Len, this hopefully will become a lot more um, prevalent in in today's age and space. So we we only hope, and it will. It already is. Yeah. I agree with you. And I went to A4M and they said this this was the, I think they had tripled the turnout that they did in their previous year. Yeah. So, you know, people are looking to to hack their age and, and get healthier and live longer, healthier lives. So, and I agree with you about education. I mean, we have healthcare professionals that don't really understand genetics right. also. And, they, and if they don't, they're automatically... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, open. Be open-minded. If you're a healthcare professional uh, that's been doing this for a long time, think about it this way. The endocannabinoid system was only discovered in 1992. If you went to medical school, you may not even know this system exists, but it's extremely important. So exactly. everything that we're doing that's new, just be open. Like things happen all the time. Changes happen uh, all the time, just be open to receive the information. And uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of noise out there. So yeah. filter out noise. Um, okay. So I want to, uh, I have some other questions that I uh, ask all my guests. We never, we never brought this up, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask this question before I get into uh, all the questions, because I wanted to know if you looked at this or is this an important factor or not? And if you didn't, that's fine. Cannabis itself mm-hmm. uh, is is that a is there anything that's you've seen through true diagnostic that affects biological age one way or another? Because we talked about cigarette smoking, we obviously know that that's bad for you. Is there anything uh, with you know cannabis that you would say that you've seen one way or another? So we we did we published a study. Um, her name's Natalia. She's great. She's a bioinformaticist, but she looks at, she does these like, uh, uh, correlation based studies essentially. So, you know, again, correlation, not causation. We're learning a little bit more. And she did one with, um, alcohol and then marijuana. So people who said, you know, they consumed marijuana. Um, we looked at that correlation there and we didn't actually find anything. It was, it was just, it was neutral. So, um, you know, we don't know much about how it relates to, biological aging. There are like different connections with DNA methylation and certain, you know, genes and turning things on and off. If you get more into like the deeper research science side, but from like a broader perspective, yeah, what we found in that particular study was neutral. Great. So people should consume more cannabis. There you go. (laughs) There's a conclusion. (laughs) Um, are, Are you a cannabis consumer? I was, yeah, I, I was not anymore, uh, currently at this, this time, but, uh, yeah, definitely was at, at one point in my life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll skip, uh, any cannabis uh, related questions. We'll yeah. go into the music. Thing. Perfect. Uh, so obviously I'm a, I'm a big music, uh, uh, 
uh, a person. And I say obvious, but people can see me, can see my albums behind me. Yeah. Do you remember the very first concert that you ever attended? Oh my gosh. I think it was like some type of like country concert, probably like Rascal Flats or someone at like our, you know, small Miami County Fair where they would have like people who were nobodies at the time. And then like a couple years later, they would be like this massive um, kind of hit country star. So it definitely had to be a country concert. I, I don't listen to country music anymore, but like grew up around it, which is, yeah, a little embarrassing to admit now. Ah, it's fine. Country, country's crossing over a lot. Uh, well, all right. So what was the last concert you attended? Last concert I attended, actually, it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was awesome. It was amazing. It was actually, yeah, probably one of my favorites. They put on just such a great show. Yeah. I, w- I went to that at SoFi in, in LA oh. and uh, I was in the pit and I could actually like reach out and almost touched them that, that close I was. Yeah, it was That's crazy. Show. Yeah, they put on, yeah, a heck of a show. Do yeah, I think Thundercat and Beck were the opening acts for that. So they had Thundercat and yeah. Beck and then the Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah, Fantastic. yeah. Uh, do you remember what the very first album you bought or not album, maybe CD or whatever? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it, it had to be another country one. I think it was probably like a Taylor Swift one, maybe. Like one of her very first ones that that it's really funny that you said country and Taylor Swift because she's like a huge pop star now. Yeah, yeah. So she, yeah, but, <laughs> but she, she used to, to play country more of the country. That's such a good point. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually going to her concert in July. I think my friend in San Francisco oh, wow. got yeah some tickets from that you know ticket. Lucky you because I it's very it's apparently a very difficult thing to do is get tickets for. Uh, yeah, I guess. So so we'll see. I'm super excited about that, but I'll have to report back to you then and, and let you know where it falls sure. in the ranks. Is there anything uh, you're listening to these days that you find interesting that you like to share? Oh, I'm uh, listening to, you know, not, I love like more like EDM music now. Like I love Kygo. I, I love DJ. Okay. You know, we always go to the A4M conference in Vegas. We always go out and see a DJ. We did um, Griffin, you know, a couple years ago. So yeah, really love that that music and, and listening to to their albums. Uh, okay. So final question. Oh yeah. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. Ooh, it was colorful. <laughs> These are great questions, Len. It was colorful. So I remember, like, yeah, like, like splotches on the walls and like flowers and it being, I, I would definitely say that I was like a tomboy growing up, but like looking back, my room definitely didn't represent that. So I think like my mom was probably behind like the colorful like walls and, and things of the sort. Um, lots of stuffed animals, ton of stuffed animals. Um, it doesn't sound like tomboy to me, but okay. Yeah, no, really, it really, it really doesn't. I mean, I want, yeah. So it wasn't uh, any po- any yeah. posters on the walls or any any posters or anything? Any... No, no, no posters. Probably like um, like uh, uh, you know those like high school things, like the posters they would do for like soccer schedules or football schedules for like your right. school. So like my school's like yeah, kind of posters. You know, looking up to the people like oh they're so cool playing like high school soccer and stuff. <laughs> so more like sporting posters. Cool. All right, Hannah, where can people find it? I know you do your own show, so plug uh, where people can find you, yeah. where they can connect with you. And then 
to diagnostic as well. Yeah. So I have created a little side venture called Everything Epigenetics. My podcast is going to launch on March 1st. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at everything epigenetics, everything epigenetics.com. Um, True Diagnostic, if you want to learn a little bit more about our testing, just go to truediagnostic.com, um, T-R-U, no E, and then diagnostic is singular. But yeah, feel free to message me, shoot me an email, hannah at truediagnostic.com if you all have any questions or just ask Len and I'm I'm sure he'll forward it, forward it on to me. <laughs> for sure. Hey, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate your time. It's great education. I yeah. feel I feel like I'm almost at, at, at like beginner level. Oh, epigenetics. No, you're doing great. Thanks, Glenn. I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey, everyone. It's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.